Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Mike Fenn, who's the Director of Healthcare and Life Sciences at Harvard Innovation Labs and their Accelerator. I'll be going more into what's happening with Quadrica, the exchange that lost $190 million. And for each week, I'll be talking about the pivot. So stay tuned. So in this week's tech news, the NASDAQ announced that they will launch two new indices that will track cryptocurrency prices starting on February 25th. The indices are the Bitcoin Liquid Index, BLX, and the Ethereum Liquid Index, ELX. And I'm just reporting on this because uh, we continue to say that cryptocurrency and blockchain continue to go mainstream. Also, more on Facebook's ongoing saga and scandal. It turns out that for many of the partnerships that Facebook has with services such as Netflix and Spotify, um, a lot of the interaction that goes through Facebook to Spotify and Netflix and other third-party services, those messages could be read unencrypted in the clear. So that just means if you thought that one platform was secure, if you're communicating between the two, those messages could in fact be read. Uh, In a recent Bloomberg report, Well, as much as there's bad press on cryptocurrency and the thought that it might be used for anti-money laundering and something to the tune of $90 million thus far, Bloomberg reports that money laundering still happens at scale within large banks to the tune of $2 trillion a year. If you're a Target shopper using their app, this is just something that you should be aware of. A Minnesota TV station, KAR-TV, discovered that, uh, just a weird coincidence, when they were using the mobile app and they were getting a deal alert, um, they would drive towards the Target nearby, and as they entered the parking lot and into the store, the price of the items or several items would go up, sometimes as, as high as $150. Now, Target responded saying, we have different platforms to engage with our customers, online, mobile, web, um, and circulars, and those can have different offers, and that they will price match those offers if you tell them. But what was really odd and coincidental that this TV station tested was that every time they got closer to the target and every time they drove uh, away from the parking lot, the prices would fluctuate. So just heads up to always check and do comparison shopping. And the last piece of news is that the President of the United States signed an executive order which is aimed at boosting artificial intelligence in the federal agencies and the government. Uh, There was a five points in that, and the one I'll mention is that the NIST standard or framework is governing um, the artificial intelligence to be adopted by the government. And we've done many shows on AI, and this is just to continue to say that AI is going mainstream. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I have Dr. Mike Fenn, who is the head of healthcare and life sciences at the Harvard Innovation Labs. Welcome again, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
So what I love about Mike's background is it's not just academics. Mike has had a full career straddling both the academic world and the venture entrepreneur world. And uh, he personally likes to say that he's bridging the gap. And I think it's really powerful to talk about what Mike's been doing now that he's a recent transplant from the beaches of Florida to currently the uh, very cold world of Boston. (laughs) So Mike, tell me a little bit more about your background. Yeah. So again, thank you for having me. Uh, so my background is, is uh, pretty diverse. Uh, and, and yeah, like you said, I think uh, it spreads, spreads the gamut from academia to the venture and startup world, and which is, uh, as I said, uh, bridging the gap, in quotes. Uh, it is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about, and particularly working in, in life sciences. Uh, it, it's, you know, a lot of the technologies, a lot of the really innovative stuff all comes out of uh, research labs. So how to get that to uh, a commercialization state uh, is really challenging. There's a lot of inefficiencies. There's a a lot of hurdles to overcome uh, moving a technology uh, from a research lab into uh, an actual venture that can can generate revenue. So that's something we'll we'll talk a little bit more about. My background in in terms of academics, I was previously to to this position here at Harvard Innovation Labs, uh, was a professor of biomedical engineering, uh, had an NIH-funded research lab doing uh, work on biomaterials, uh, for device and diagnostic development, as well as some work on drug delivery, uh, some work on 3D bioprinting. Uh, but I was also working with, with a number of startups, both, both in my lab and, and outside of. Uh, I had launched a few startups out of the lab, uh, which is, again, a, a challenging thing to do from, from very early stages, uh, basically of just the technology or concept even. Uh, and so from that, after working with a number of startups and, and being relatively successful, uh, I was offered a position here at, at Harvard Innovation Labs, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about what that is, uh, to be able to come up here and work with the startup and venture entrepreneurial ecosystem, really, that is uh, Harvard University, uh, and particularly focusing on the vertical of healthcare and life sciences uh, within the Boston ecosystem, uh, which is really the epicenter uh, for, for life science startups and, and really life sciences, I guess, more generally. Uh, so uh, I have a PhD in biomedical engineering. I have a, a master's degree in materials engineering, and, and uh, started my studies in chemistry. Uh, so I've, I've kind of been uh, all over the place in terms of, of where my my expertise and experience has allowed me to go. Uh, in, in terms of startups, again, focusing a lot on devices uh, and, and and on diagnostic platforms, uh, mostly really early stage. Uh, but now in recent years, I've actually got to see some of these companies uh, flourish and grow, uh, which has been extremely exciting. No, that's, that's great. And I think uh, because we've, we've hosted other accelerators and um, innovation labs on our show, and all of it's a little bit different, I, I think it'd be great if you talked about the entire universe of things that you're, you're working on at Harvard, because it's, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, it, it's a huge ecosystem here. We're, we're within that Boston-Cambridge ecosystem for life sciences, which is, you know, really massive. It is kind of the center of the universe when it comes to life sciences, particularly pharma and biotech. You may have heard of Kendall Square. I now live about five, six blocks from, from Kendall Square, which is really uh, pretty amazing. Uh, but Harvard Innovation Lab, so, so what we are is, uh, for, for Harvard, we are kind of a, a, a number of things. We're an incubator, a, a co-working space, 
we have accelerator programs that, that are able to provide uh, slightly later stage companies or early later stage companies uh, some funding and, and all the support that they possibly need. Uh, we also have the, the Life Lab, the Paglioca Life Lab, uh, which is a 15,000 square foot wet lab incubator. Uh, and really, we're also just a place for, for learning about entrepreneurship and innovation uh, for anyone within the Harvard community. Uh, and we support all uh, different folks involved in that community from undergraduate students with an idea who are just maybe interested in what innovation and entrepreneurship might be, all the way through uh, companies that are you know, raising Series A type rounds. Uh, and that's really who we're here for. Uh, and so my job uh, as the director of healthcare and life sciences is to support all of the ventures, uh, even you know, proto companies or ideas, again, all the way through somewhat later stage companies, uh, in their process of, of growth and development. Uh, so it's been really exciting, uh, and, and I'm really happy to be here. And uh, being a part of the Harvard ecosystem, is it open to anyone, or is it Harvard um, research students, faculty? Who, who, who are the typical makeup of the innovators at the Harvard Innovation Labs? Yes. So we, we are uh, specifically for Harvard-affiliated uh, students or uh, researchers, uh, alumni, and faculty, kind of depending on the stage of your venture. Uh, we have several programs that we offer throughout the course of the year. Uh, we have a venture incubation program, which is ongoing now, uh, which is a relatively early-stage startup. Uh, they may have some funding. They may not. Um, they may have intellectual property uh, or at least some kind of business model, whatever that might be, but we're here to help those companies kind of get a little bit further along. We have a, a new accelerator program called Launch Lab X, uh, which is for Harvard alumni uh, specifically. Uh, these ventures are typically have some type of, of funding. They're, they're backed with, with capital. They have intellectual property. They're potentially even selling products uh, out on the market uh, and generating revenue. Hey, hey, Mike. Let's let's uh let's continue on because uh, we're gonna get that into the next segment. So you're listening okay. to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined with Mike uh-huh. Fenn, the director of healthcare at Harvard Innovation Labs. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call one eight 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 two eight seventy eight forty six. That's eight 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 two eight S V I N. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. I'm joined today with Dr. Mike Fenn, who's the head of healthcare and life sciences at Harvard Innovation Labs. Thanks again, Mike, for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Mike, um, as we always talk about innovation, what are kind of the hot topics in the life sciences space for 2019 and beyond? Yeah, I, I think uh, 2019 is going to be a, a really exciting year for, for life sciences. Uh, I think we're going to see a, a real growth uh, in the digital healthcare segment in particular. I think we're actually going to start seeing uh, some realization of AI being implemented uh, in, in more clinical settings or at least getting close to being implemented more so in clinical settings and actually having real outcomes. Um, I think there's going to be an increase in, in, in focus on, on patient needs and, and patient-centric care. I think that's an additional thing, which is pretty tangential as well to the digital health care. Uh, additionally, I, I think we're going to see continued 
external innovation by the major players in, in the life sciences, that is particularly pharma, uh, biotechnology. So that, that's great if you're a startup company, which means that as a startup, you're an, a potential acquisition target, and uh, they're seeking earlier and earlier stage uh, companies for potential acquisitions. So I think we're going to see an expansion uh, in that in, in external innovation. Uh, I think really exciting from a, a biotech standpoint, we're going to really see uh, a lot more growth, real exciting technologies coming online uh, in terms of cell-based technology, uh, such as CAR-Ts, uh, gene therapies, uh, antibodies, cancer vaccines. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of really cool stuff actually making it uh, out of the lab or, or almost sci-fi sounding, uh, making it in the clinic and actually helping patients. Yeah, thank you very much. Just to continue on that vein of what's hot in 2019, last year we had Dr. John Madison, who's the Chief Health Information Officer of Kaiser, um, and Dr. Vanila Singh, the Chief Medical Officer of the United States, on our show and also at um, my conference uh, on emerging technology. And uh, Dr. Madison and Singh both said that they felt that uh, we're 12 to 18 months away from significant breakthroughs in life sciences along um, the things you mentioned, which is like gene therapy and vaccines for cancer in addition. So are those the types of things you're actually seeing in um, Harvard itself? Yes, yes, we are. And, and we actually have some some companies, some startups, early stage ventures, uh, which all were born out of some of the top research labs here at Harvard uh, that are working on gene therapies. Uh, genomic-based diagnostics, often incorporating AI uh, and, and advanced machine learning, uh, several different regenerative uh, medicines and, and cell-based uh, therapeutics. So some really exciting stuff, particularly uh, in, in the immunology and oncology space and then also in neurology. I, I like that. Um, I come from the tech world, um, hard tech, not life sciences, and Larry Elson had given a keynote a few years back that I was listening to, and he had said, I don't know why people keep innovating on infrastructure and regular technology. That's boring to me. I, I think people should be investing in life sciences. And it's nice to see how life sciences and true technology are now um, integrated in kind of a, a joint philosophy. So what I mean is like things you brought up, um, AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and how you find um, – those data sets to then solve for for real problems. Yeah, you, you bring up a great point. And actually, I was I was reading uh, Deloitte or PwC's uh, yeah, 2019 outlook, and, and there, there was a lot of, of talk, and I you know, just kind of hearing this uh, about about the tech giants, you know, becoming increasingly involved. Google Ventures is a great example, right? Investing something that a third, more than a third, I think, of, of their uh, capital into life sciences, right? And, and it makes sense, again, with the digitization of health and, and the importance of data and the role of AI. Uh, it's really exciting. I mean, I think we're going to actually see some some really impactful things coming out of this. Uh, additionally, with that, you know, AI, we, I think we hear this term thrown around a lot, and especially in, in healthcare recently. Uh, but I think one of the, one of the areas that is going to get more coverage is actually the you know the data curation, not not so much just the algorithms and what you can do with AI, but actually the the, the data curation and pre-processing uh, before the AI is actually applied. I think that's something we're going to see more of as well. Well, that leads to a good point too, talking about the data and the AI. So um, myself, coming out of tech and risk and compliance, we worry a lot about data protection. Um, you know, banks, uh, large cloud-based uh, providers, 
And uh, when I talk to life science or healthcare um, related companies, um, we can bring up HIPAA. HIPAA, uh, almost 20 years old, I believe. There are certain things built into HIPAA because we don't have the infrastructure and data and the scale we have today where companies can interact uh, sharing data about patients or something like that uh, with honestly less control than a bank would have around your personal data. But what have you seen, if anything, around um, life science startups? How are they struggling or thriving in this kind of heightened awareness around data protection? Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting area. It's a slippery slope, really, right? Uh, you know, being able to share data uh, and then share it easily and often is, is really important to being able to create these algorithms, train these algorithms, uh, and, and be able to improve patient care, but at the same time protecting patients' data. Uh, you know, cybersecurity uh, surrounding life science healthcare data, uh, going back to what you said about HIPAA, uh, also with the new regulations, talking about the Europe's regulation with GDPR, uh, all of these things are extremely important, and, and I mean, right now, you know, I think there's there's a lot of, of companies that are startups in particular focusing on how to protect patient data. Uh, there's a lot of work I think to be done, uh, you know, gen with genomic data coming online. These super massive data sets uh, that basically define a person's genome. Uh, how do we protect those? I mean, we have companies like 23andMe, which is you know, the largest genetic experiment experiment out there uh, that has all this data on all these people. How do we ensure that that data can be protected, uh, but also at the same time used and implemented to really impact patient health care and the delivery of health care positively? I'm really happy to hear that there's startups tackling that problem because I had mentioned um, on an earlier show that I was speaking at a cybersecurity conference with uh, Elvis Chan, who's the in San Francisco, he leads the FBI cybercrime unit. And we were talking about how traditionally you don't hear of large data um, theft from a bank. It happens, but not at the scale that a Anthem or some other life science or healthcare firm does. And that really this needs to be addressed. So I think it's a great opportunity. So the fact that you're working or see startups in the space, that's a good thing. Yeah. And you mentioned blockchain, I think, uh, in, in the previous bit. Yep. And I, there's actually several several companies uh, that, that I've, I've talked to or come in con contact with recently, which are applying blockchain technology uh, to secure patient data, secure, secure healthcare data, such as genomic data. Uh, so, so I think, again, you know, this year, I think we're going to see more and more of that coming online. Really exciting time for that. Yeah, and that's great, too. I mean, blockchain, as we've talked about many times on the show, getting past cryptocurrency, the technology itself has a lot of practical uses, and um, the overused analogy of early days of the internet, this will become a standard for many things, and uh, we think that patient data is a perfect example of blockchain securing that data properly. There's, there's still more things to be discovered, but it is a good use case. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to come back to something we talked about early in the show, that uh, Harvard Innovation Labs really supports the ecosystem of Harvard. So um, if you're faculty, if you're alumni, if you're a student, or you're within the, the partner ecosystem, you have access to applying for your program, correct? Correct, yes, yes. If you are, are, are Harvard-affiliated, there there is pretty much some type of program of which you uh, can become involved within the Harvard Innovation Labs ecosystem, depending on the stage of your venture, uh, of course, but, but we have a number of different programs uh, to help the Harvard-affiliated uh, community out. 
Well, and I think that's a great that's great news because Harvard has a very um, large uh, ecosystem that scales. So this where it might sound um, exclusionary or limited, you might have a lot more access than you think if you had the right paths and yeah. had the right partnerships. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that I mean, we have. Uh, you know, teams or ventures where, where one of the founders is from Harvard, say Harvard Business School or Harvard Medical School, uh, but the, the rest of the team is, is, is say, for not, it is not. Uh, but, I mean, these the, all of those teams, they have access here uh, in some way or another. Uh, and, and we've had some very successful ventures uh, born that way. Some that are currently here, some that have gone on to do really great things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and we are right here, again, in the middle of, of Boston and Cambridge, and, and we play a role uh, collaborating with, with many of the other entities, whether it's universities or uh, with, with industry strategic partners uh, or with, with the other hospitals uh, or life science players here. Uh, so, so it really is we're, we're in kind of the, the epicenter, as I said, the center of the universe when it, when it comes to uh, life sciences and healthcare. All right. Well, thanks. In our next segment, let's talk about um, some of the companies that you're working with. So if you have any questions or comments, Email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with Dr. Mike Fenn, who's the Director of Healthcare and Life Sciences at Harvard Innovation Labs. Welcome again, Mike. Thank you. So for this week's cyber tip, whether you're a cryptocurrency enthusiast or you plan to become one or you're just interested, this tip is for you. So I've been reporting on the Canadian crypto exchange, Quadriga CX, and how a couple weeks back they were reported to have lost $190 million because their CEO and founder was the only one with the passwords, and he passed away suddenly on a business trip in India. And the people at the company did not know his passwords to the private keys and therefore couldn't get into it. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what really happened, even though there's a death certificate, did he die, did he not die? And the entire company is saying they, they have no way of finding these crypto funds, and there's experts all around the world trying to see if it's they can see it moving in and out of an exchange somewhere. Well, I'm really not going to talk about that. What's more interesting in a Hacker Noon article by David Weisberger, he actually talks about what I'd be interested in is anyone who's using a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum, why do you pick the crypto ex- exchange that you do? Because this particular exchange absolutely had uh, repeatedly violated a lot of what's called best practices by the financial regulators in Canada. And not only that, if you were to buy something like a Bitcoin, uh, their prices were almost always higher than um, other exchanges in the open market. So then the question is, uh, if, you, if you really know what you're doing, why are you picking that type of exchange? And if you don't know what you're doing, you should really do the research just like you would in stocks or other um, securities or financial investments. Do comparison shopping, understand the features of one platform or the other, so that you have the most information possible to keep yourself safe. Um, As a reminder, no actual blockchain itself has yet been hacked, but many crypto exchanges, which is not a blockchain itself, it's simply storing or transacting 
your cryptocurrency, as well as the where you store it in a wallet, those certainly can be hacked. They're not necessarily uh, encrypted or cryptographically encrypted like the inherent blockchain itself. So if you have questions or comments on this, feel free to email us at info at svn.biz. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. So earlier in the show, we talked about Mike's background, how he's done a lot both in academia and in the entrepreneurial venture community before becoming the director of Harvard's Healthcare and Life Sciences Innovation Labs. Uh, Mike, what I wanted to get into now was what's it, what's it like for a company to be considered for this program? How do they actually get started and what's the path they take? And it might be multiple, right, I guess. Yeah, so there, there are there's multiple paths and that there's, there's multiple ways to become, uh, you know, part of the Harvard Innovations Labs ecosystem uh, and, and, and join one of the programs. Uh, we do run throughout the year uh, three times what's called the Venture Incubation Program, currently running this right now. Uh, I have a, a cohort of, of 20 teams in the life science and healthcare space. Uh, competing for the President's Innovation Challenge Prize, which is a, a pot of money, $410,000, uh, to provide some seed funding to these companies, but also really the network and, and resources that come with that. Uh, and additionally, for, for alumni ventures uh, in the licensed healthcare space, we have something really unique and, and really awesome, which is our uh, Life Lab, or, which is a, a large 15,000 square foot, very well equipped uh, wet lab incubator space. And so alumni ventures are, are allowed to apply. Uh, we have an application system just actually we had a selection committee meeting on that on Friday. Uh, have some very talented teams, uh, two of which uh, in the past month have raised some, raised some significant funding. Uh, one was a diagnostic platform uh, called Day Zero Diagnostics. Really proud of them. Uh, and so it's really great. Uh, that, that incubator space that we have, uh, you know, science is you have to have the infrastructure. Uh, and, and, and wet lab space is something that you just can't do without, unlike, say, a tech startup, which you could maybe start or a garage like you hear about, you can't do that with a life science startup, not, not only because it's not, not feasible, it may be illegal in some cases. Uh, so, so having the, that resource, uh, that infrastructure is, is really important, uh, and, it, and it's great that we have that. And, and um, it, when you get accepted to this program, are there costs involved to the startup, or is it covered by the program? So, it, yes, it's, it's mainly the, the programs are, are subsidized by Harvard and or there's funding that, that would, you know, can be won as a prize. There's also various funding sources that we're able to connect them with. The programs it, itself are essentially free. They're free to, to join, uh, provided by Harvard to those affiliated uh, Harvard, Harvard members of the, the community. The Life Science Lab is a highly subsidized uh, incubator lab space that, that we do, that Harvard does provide for, for, a, for a fee, uh, but significantly reduced to what would be found, say, at, at the other wet lab incubator spaces here in the Boston area. Uh, and again, you, you have to have that infrastructure, so having that reduction, that subsidized uh, cost is, is really helpful for especially these early stage companies where it's just so challenging when you're starting a biotech or a diagnostic platform type company. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, generally, how long is each program that you run three times a year? So the, the programs that we run, the incubation programs we run are, are typically uh, a semester or about three months or so. 
uh, we, in the end, we have a, a pitch competition at the end of, of each one of those. Uh, and then we have a, 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 what's called Launch Lab X, which is our new accelerator program that we, we just started running, and it's uh, three three-month sprints, therefore nine total months, uh, which will also end with, with a pitch competition and prizes. Uh, and then the Life Lab is, is interesting. It allows for t- a two-year time period for which you can stay in that Life Lab and grow. And actually, we just uh, got to the point that, we're, that the Life Lab has been there for a little over two years now. So that kind of first batch that, that moved in of companies are, are starting to move out. So again, that have raised money, uh, moving into bigger spaces that have hired uh, you know, 10, 12, even more employees. So we're really excited excited to see that. Uh, again, these companies just wouldn't, you're this early stage as a life science company, you have so many hurdles and a very capital intensive type of, of environment uh, to be able to provide that resource. I, I think that's why we see so much, uh, such a high rate of success with the companies that we have. Um, what's your advice for somebody, in not, maybe not just Harvard's um, accelerator, but any, what's your advice for companies trying to get considered for a program? What's the What's the way that they should package themselves up to get considered in the best light? This, this is a great question. This is something that we're here to, to help all of these early stage ventures or just add, you know, folks with ideas. Uh, you know, the, the things I always like to touch on are, are one, you know, making sure that you're, you're truly meeting an unmet clinical or healthcare need. So going out, talking to your quote unquote customers, and I think that's something that's often lost in life science and healthcare as we have a lot of scientists, researcher types, uh, but you do have customers and they're very important just like they are in any other business. And that, that are the, those are the, the people who are going to pay for your product. And additionally, you have to go out and talk to the end users and get feedback from them as well. So it could be your physicians, could be the patients, uh, but really developing unmet needs that meet those customers and end users' needs uh, are very important. I think we're seeing that increasingly with the patient-centric type of a focus that we're, we're seeing in healthcare, hopefully we'll be seeing increasingly. Uh, additionally, two things that I always focus on when I sit down with, with a startup is what does your IP look like? Do you have an IP portfolio? And if not, do you have a plan for your intellectual property? Uh, very important in life sciences. And additionally, the second thing in, in that bucket to build that moat that I always ask is what is your regulatory strategy? And, and it, it, if you don't know, you need that to develop a plan around that. Very important uh, to, to get that figured out early on. And even if it's not exactly what ends up happening, having that plan and thought process uh, thought out is, is important. And I think that's exactly analogous to other reg tech industries like fintech, insuretech. Um, and, and in Silicon Valley, I mean, we're starting to see a little bit more of it. But when I mentor startups in different accelerators, um, that's exactly what I say is what's your IP strategy and as well as do you have a regulatory strategy? And to be honest, most of them here do not. They they think it's a limitation, um, a barrier to entry because of the cost involved, the perceived cost involved with that. Do you find that similar to life sciences, or are you thinking that they're more willing to embrace um, having a regulatory strategy? Yeah, I, you know, I think they they usually understand that it, it you know, I think that I agree, though, they do see it oftentimes initially as it's just this big hurdle or pain. Uh, but really, you could use it to your advantage if you come up with a good strategy, right? If you create the rules, then other people have to play by the rules you've created, right? And, and that's what I usually try to tell people is, you know, think about this early. Think about it a lot and, and really get in and plan this because you can use the regulatory aspect to your advantage, I think. So, Mike, this has all been great. Just with the minute we have left, if a life sciences company wanted to be considered for this program, what's the best way to reach out to you and the team? 
Uh, we'll go to the website, Harvard Innovation Labs. Uh, you can check us out there. There's uh, multiple ways to also get in contact contact me, contact any of our other advisors and directors. Uh, the applications are, are on the website with their respective programs, whether it be the Venture Incubation Program, Life Lab, or Launch Lab X, uh, all located on the website. Uh, but otherwise, just reach out to me directly. I'd be happy to, to, to talk to you. Great. And again, anyone had questions or comments, you can still email us as well, info at svn.biz, and we'll get the information over to you. So, Mike, thanks again for being here. Um, great having you, and I hope to have you back on soon. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. This is fantastic. So, just a couple of reminders. Um, Tulip Conference, which was our Emerging Tech Conference that we held last year in San Francisco, that's going to be coming up June 7th. There is a call for speakers and sponsors. If you need any information on that, you can also email us at info at svn.biz. Uh, this year, we'll be focusing on what we're calling moonshots. So technology to solve for uh, the UN's sustainability development goals, uh, technology for life sciences, and how to integrate artificial intelligence into your careers for people who are worried about that. Once again, any questions or comments on that, email us at info at svn.biz. I can be reached at Keith Koo on LinkedIn. And stay tuned because Mike and I will finish up with The Pivot. We'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined again with Mike Fenn, who's the Director of Healthcare and Life Sciences at Harvard Innovation Labs. Once again, thanks for being here, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And on this portion of the show, we call this the pivot, and we're talking about um, different ways companies, people have pivoted um, to success and sometimes to failure. And in our earlier part of the show, we, we focused a lot on Mike's work at Harvard, his background in both um, academia and the entrepreneurial venture side um, of the world and how he's bridging the gap. Uh, pivots are really important. I, I know a lot of people we've talked to before don't like the pivot because they think it means that you didn't know what you were doing. But we find pivots in everything we do. Um, in life sciences, I'm going to bring up a, a famous one, which is intuitive surgical they were originally a uh, company coming out with a Da Vinci robot, and they intended to use the robot for cardiac procedures. Um, instead, as time went on, and they actually exited with quite a large sum of money, um, they were a robot used for uh, prostate procedures and hysterectomies, and they still did really well. So that's an example of a good pivot in life sciences. Mike, what's been your experience with pivots in the work you've been doing? So in life sciences, I, I think that you know pivots are seen maybe as a, a problem that only tech companies experience. But you know, really, I, I think that it's not so much a problem. It can actually be a, a great thing again that can be used to your advantage to find that product market fit or, or really what is your unmet need and how can you match your solution or, or technology to, to solve that problem, right? Uh, and being able to do that in an iterative process early on. Now, there is, of course, challenges in life science when you get so far along because of the regulatory, the highly regulated nature of life sciences and healthcare uh, that you can't pivot, right? So that's why it is even more important 
to be able to pivot early on before you get to that point of no return uh, and lose a bunch of money and waste a bunch of time. Uh, you know, an example of this is a, a company I was working with. Uh, they were using some really advanced spectroscopy techniques uh, to develop a diagnostic platform, had not been done before. Uh, but they ended up, they didn't have the runway to be able to get them uh, to where they needed to go. The regulatory challenges were, were, were quite, quite large. Uh, so they ended up pivoting uh, and working on a, a, water, uh, a water evaluation or water assessment platform uh, to be able to evaluate uh, contaminants in, in, in water, uh, which actually allowed them to, to then generate some revenue uh, and be able to continue their R&D on the diagnostic platform. Uh, so, you know, again, it's really important to be able to do that uh, at an earlier stage. Uh, I have another company that, that I, I'm still on the scientific advisory board of, uh, surgical device company, BioFuse, uh, originally started out uh, with a surgical device for vessel sealing uh, and now have pivoted towards a, a use uh, for pelvic organ prolapse indication, uh, which is a market with a tremendous unmet need uh, where there isn't really much in that space right now to fill that gap, uh, especially with the issues with the transvaginal meshes. Uh, so really excited to, to see how this, this uh, works out. Uh, and as we move forward into some clinical work, uh, it'll be really great to see. Yeah, thanks for those examples. Um, I think it's so important uh, for startups, especially, and as we talked about earlier, what in a regulated industry like life sciences or fintech, that they have to be prepared, um, not knowing if they haven't done the regulatory strategy up front, that they may be forced to pivot just because they can't get through that hurdle without a significant amount of funding or investment. So um, the advice you're giving is great. Where are some other avenues of pivots in life sciences that you foresee? I mean, we, we talk about in terms of it's not just the technology or the product. Sometimes it's the business model. Sometimes it's the way you uh, generate revenue. Uh, what are some other examples that you can think of? Yeah, you know, I, I think right now with the very dynamic one, the dynamic regulatory environment, I think medical devices in particular, we, uh, we know there's some changes on the horizon. So I think these companies need to already start planning for how they might pivot depending on how these regulations for the new regulatory uh, environment is going to look. Uh, for medical devices, uh, especially maybe with 510K, which is based on predicate device uh, type of pathway, maybe uh, changing or going away. Uh, additionally to that, I think how to adopt to the, to the payer and reimbursement uh, environment. I think that's really important because that's, that's ever-changing and extremely dynamic. And I think if you can be dynamic and be able to pivot uh, on the fly in terms of how regulations around or, or how reimbursement uh, and insurers and payers work, uh, you really have an edge there. Right. And I, I think that are excellent points, especially when we get into that life sciences isn't just about the technology or things like genomics, but this actually goes hand in hand with, there are many companies trying to solve for um, billing and payments as well, which all falls into the entire experience, especially here in the United States. Yes. So with just the minute we have left, Mike, what are some of uh, your nuggets of wisdom to impart on anybody as they continue on their life science path? Yeah, you know, uh, I'd say one, if you're, if you're on your path in, in the life sciences, if you're doing research, uh, look at entrepreneurship as a potential career opportunity. You can shape your future and design your own job. Uh, two, be passionate about what you do. You have to be, be passionate. 
uh, find really good mentors, advisors uh, to, to be able to get advice from, uh, and just really be ready to work hard. Be ready to, to work your tail off. And with that, thanks again, Dr. Mike Fenn of Harvard Innovation Labs. Uh, if you're trying to get a hold of them, you can Google Harvard Innovation Labs or email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN. 